You're listening to the smartest guys in marketing, the best show on the planet for client businesses to learn about traffic, funnels, sales, conversions, and marketing coolness. Chris and Taylor are the founders of Traffic and Funnels, a digital marketing consultancy helping you get paid clients from cold traffic daily. Now, here are your hosts, Chris and Taylor. My name is Josh Forty, and we have with us today the man, the myth, the legend, actually the first ever guest of the Think Different Theory podcast. He is the, what do I want to call him? I want to call him the, the legend of Nashville, the multi-million dollar company founder, Mr. Taylor Welch. How are you doing today, my man? I'm just a man of the people, bro. Just a man just of the, the people. Man, the man of the people. I give the people what they want. And uh, yeah, I'm the Lord of, of Funnels. The Lord of Funnels, the man of the people. How do you, how do you know what the, the people want? How do you determine that? Dude, you just ask them, bro. Old school copywriting, dude. Ask them what they want and give it to them. That's the secret. That's the secret. secret. And Chipotle. Chipotle and Starbucks is also the secret. Chipotle we- and Starbucks. I love my Starbucks every morning. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, so you're, you're in Nashville. And well, let's start there. Of all places, why Nashville? Because Nashville is the best. It's and just the best. How'd you find, how, like, what brought you there? So I grew up in uh, down south. When Chris, who's my business partner, when Chris and I met, we were living in Memphis. Chris is in Charlotte. And my wife, Lindsay, has always wanted to live in Nashville. It's three hours away from Memphis. And it was literally just like, well, we have enough money now, so we should move to Nashville. And that was kind of how we decided. But since being here, it sounds really crazy because we didn't know anything about the city. But since being here, it's an amazing city. It's like an entrepreneurial town. It's growing. Uh, dude, we just had the NFL draft here. So obviously, you know, we get kudos for that. Uh, but it's a great town. It's beautiful. Have you yeah, ever been? I love Nashville. I got introduced there down. Actually, a friend of mine has a huge Instagram office down there. He manages like 100 million followers on Instagram. And he's from Nashville. And uh, so I went down there, met, met a bunch of country stars down there. Are you a country music fan? I am. Yeah. Love Look at you. Music. We actually had a, we just had a, a webinar where uh, somebody who attended was, her name was Miranda Lambert. And I was like, is this the Miranda Lambert? She's like, no, 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 it's not. I was like, well, <laughs> nobody's on video. We never would have known. Like you should have went with it. That's awesome. Honestly. Yeah. That's awesome. Well done, man. Well, okay. So I want to dive in for those of you people that don't know you because some of the audience might not. Let's, let's dive in brief background. I'm not huge, huge on backgrounds unless they're a critical part of the story. Um, but uh, brief background, because you founded Traffic and Funnels. Talk to us a little bit about how that came about pre-life before starting Traffic and Funnels and what that entrepreneurship journey looked like. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, grew up wanting, I always wanted to work at a church. That was my first real job. I worked at a church in Memphis and uh, my wife was a hairstylist. I'm taking you all the way back and I'll just speed up into TF as fast as we can. I was working at a church. My wife was a hairstylist. She had recently relocated. She didn't have any clients. I ended up transitioning out of the church into real estate and uh, started kind of exploring the and still was involved with church, but I just liked having money and eating and having food and stuff. So I got out of that, got into a real job uh, in the in the corporate world. I stumbled upon marketing because my wife wanted more clients. And I was like, well, I'll just figure out how this whole marketing thing works. 
It can't be too difficult, right? It's easy. Frank Kern can do it. <laughs> I can do it. Right. So I started consuming marketing material. This is 2013, 2014. And um, how old are you at the time? 20, let's see, 24. Okay. 24, 25. Uh, this is how crazy I was because I didn't know what marketing was. I, I didn't know what copywriting was. I thought copywriting, because I came from the church world, was how you protected your songs with the United States you know, Copyright Office. And uh, John Carlton taught me that that's not, that's a different kind of <laughs> I was uh, like, we can get, you know, we can buy some addresses. I learned, I learned that you can send direct mail to different zip codes that were, had a higher average income. So I bought a couple of names from different zip codes and I wrote a letter that was based on a template from a program I had invested in. We sent the letter. Uh, I had to borrow money to buy the names. And we got two, she got two clients from it the first time. I was like, oh my God, like I am a marketer. I am Frank Kern. <laughs> I am, I am. Again, again and again and again. Uh, the second one bombs. But dude, that was like my first experience. This is, I was working at a real estate company and I was like, if I can replace my income with my wife's income and get her more clients, I can quit my job. And that was the furthest that my vision could extend. I didn't grow up wanting to be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to be a worship leader, work at church. I didn't have any vision for this. I was literally like, I can get, I cannot have to go to work if I can get my wife clients. But once it started, and once I got down the rabbit hole, and I went through a whole lot of heartache, and a whole lot of pain, and a whole lot of rejection in about six months, I was like, man, I can, I can make more than my wife. And my wife was always like, she was the sugar mama. She was always making more money than I was. And I quit my job. This is uh, March of 2014, I believe. Let's let me backtrack. No, this is March of 2015. And January of 2016, I did over 100 grand in sales. Wow. My goal was to do six figures my first year. I ended up hitting six figures in a month before my first year. And so I grew really, really fast. I'm obsessed. Uh, a little sadistic in terms of like when I get into something, I'm all into it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we were living in Memphis at the time. We uh, moved to Nashville. Obviously, we partnered me and Chris Evans. Who Chris Evans is the traffic. He's Gandalf the White traffic wizard. And um, man, TF just kind of blew up. We got some really good mentors at the beginning. And today, I like to tell people that, you know, there's different incubators that like Y Combinator incubators, you can actually join to learn how to grow your business. They'll take a piece of equity from you. You go in doing, you know, $5,000 a month and you exit doing $5 million a month and they take equity. We do the same thing with client businesses, but instead of taking equity, we take a fee at the beginning. So that's kind of what Traffic and Funnels is about. It's spun off into multiple different companies. We're buying a lot of real estate right now. Dude, I love the game. Like I've figured out that, doesn't no amount of money is really satisfying. It's just like I love to win the game. And so, right, right. Well, I've noticed that about you. Though. Many different ways. Yeah, I've noticed that about you. I, I I follow your content. You're so like I don't follow very many people on social. Um, only because you know Sam Ovens got me onto that. I'm in his stuff right now, and you know unfollowed yeah. everybody on he Instagram. Was, he was one of our first mentors. Yeah, yeah. And I I knew you had gone through that program, and uh, we just joined. It didn't exist, huh? We didn't go through it. We didn't go through it because it didn't exist. We went through just like Sam one-on-one. This is like before he was like the God of marketing. 
before he was Sam Evans? He didn't have any any programs. We just like yeah, we I, it was so back back in the day. Anyways, That's funny. Sorry, that's funny. But you're one of the people that I follow on social because I don't follow very many. But I know, I've noticed that you're, you're big into that. You're not just marketing. Like you understand money and you understand wealth and you understand a lot of things are, and, and, and sales, which I'm fascinated with. Sales is my, it's my zone. Um, I want to I go back real quick though. You, you make 100 grand in a month in January, less than a year into your business. That is not an easy feat. It, uh, what... What is the trick that you learned? You, you got six months, you said, of, of just like rejection, right? What, what got you to that, that point of, because like I've been in business for a bit, right? Three years now, had my ups, had my downs, had a good month. I think back before I like leveled out and actually built a real business, I think my best month was like 80, 82, something like that thousand. But like, it was me. I plateaued, yada, yada. In order to do $100,000 in a month and to continue scaling and growing or whatnot, there's a lot of mindset that goes into that. There's a lot more than just making sales, right? So like, how did you get to that point? What was the key determining factor or the factors that got you to be able to do that in such a short period of time? Yeah, um, I think one of the big, like arguably probably the kingpin that like takes people out of the game is they somebody will start getting successful and all of a sudden they start trying to figure pieces out that they don't need to figure out right now. And really this comes back down to fear. You know, fast forward to, to today, we are over a million dollars a month in sales today. I was talking with Chris yesterday and uh, one of my buddies is doing like 16 million a year. And I'm like, it's literally like mind boggling how much money he's making. And Chris was like, well, what is it that we're missing? And I was like, I don't think we're missing anything. I think everything we need to do to, to, to hit four, five, six, seven million a month, we already have it. And this is what people have to understand is when they, when you just get started, you kind of have the ingredients already necessary, but nobody believes that. And that becomes an identity and a pattern of thinking that self limits you. But when like to the entrepreneur who's doing $8,000 a month right now, you don't really need anything else to do 180,000. You already have the ingredients your skill set, your ability to reach new customers. It's all at your fingertips. We're in the greatest, the greatest economy and the greatest infrastructure of all time in history. You have Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You have a million ways to reach customers. What stops people is they don't think, they, they don't believe that it's this simple. If you can spend $250,000 in ads, you will make a million and a half if you have the right systems. They think that they need to become somebody. They need to, they don't believe that they have the ingredients to do it. And this becomes a real big mindset roadblock because they're trying to figure out pieces of the puzzle that they don't need to figure out. This happens with us all the time. We'll have new clients who come in. They'll be like, how do I make sure I don't get overwhelmed in client work? It's like, well, how many clients do you have right now? Like I have two. Like, well, you don't need to figure that out, dude. <laughs> like, you have two clients. But they're spending their, their juice trying to figure out how to prevent the problem that they don't even know how to create that problem. So, but it's a waste of time. And we see this all the time. You probably see this all the time too. People are yeah. solving problems that don't exist yet. And that means that it's taking bandwidth. We get 100 points a day in bandwidth. And most people are spending 90 plus of those points solving irrelevant problems. Yeah. Because it yeah. don't matter at all. What would happen if you used 100 points towards actually making money? You know, those problems would kind of take care of themselves. And that's the reality, man. It's like the big thing for us that got, that kept us stuck. We were stuck at like half a million dollars for two years. It doesn't sound like, oh, 
bless your heart, you're stuck at half a million dollars a month. <laughs> but for us, it's like, that's what I'm saying. We weren't winning the games right. saying not get a certain place for two years. And what it came down to is we were trying to fix all of these different things. It just didn't matter. There was a lot of fear for us to really scale. And once we kind of got out of that and we were just like, we, we're just going to serve people and we're going to go as big as we can. Uh, it took three or four months before we crossed a million and now we're growing again and there's no fear anymore. And fear is like really, really, really bad for the person's psyche. Yeah. If that answer your question. I'm just gonna yeah, wait. no, no, that did for sure. So let's move on to the next step of that. There's so many pieces that I want to get into with off of that, but I think the next one is, is very critical. How do you make decisions? So one of the big things that I'm all about on the podcast is thinking differently, right? I look at something and I want to look at it way different than everybody else's. I want to take a very objective view on it, right? But at some point you have to make a decision. That's a good idea. That's a bad idea, right? I'm not going to focus on this. I am going to focus on this, right? And maybe there's two parts to this question. Maybe it's like, how do you determine where to put your energy? But that's still a decision. So how do you go about your decision-making process? Yeah, I think it depends on what area of life it is. There are certain things that are just like, um, like they get into our principles. Uh, they get into our list of values that we're not going to change. You know, like I'm married to Lindsay. There are going to be no discussions about whether that is a good decision. Uh, I will, <laughs> you know, I will stay married to her. And you see this happen with entrepreneurs because when everything in your life meritocratic discussion, then you can become extremely balanced and almost like you're in a place of chaos where nothing is consistent. Um, so there are things in my life that I'm not going to make decisions about going to church. I'm just going to go to church, you know, call that over spiritual. It was like, well, whatever. It's a principle for me. Not going right. to make decisions about Lindsay. Not going to, you know, but then everything else is free game. And we try to look at things in terms of like, we want to analyze both sides. And I always tell people, everyone is really a, Everyone's really good at assessing the risks of action, but nobody's really good at assessing the risks of inaction. Yeah. We call this risk assessment and risk tolerance. And uh, I've, I've got a format for kind of going into tolerance as well, if you would like to. But like, I want to compare what does my life look like? Not just what if, what if we go into real estate and this doesn't work out? You know, that's, that's one form of risk. But the other form of risk is like, what if I don't do this and the opportunity never comes back around? What's the opportunity cost there? And that opportunity cost is bar none, the most expensive, tangible cost people pay in their entire lives. Yeah. That opportunity costs. And so when it comes to making decisions, I would rather, when you call somebody, like let's say you're doing sales, you're a salesperson, you train salespeople. When you call someone, you want to talk to the decision, what? Maker. The decision maker. You don't ever want to talk to the person who can't make any decisions. It's because people who can't make decisions are worthless. Like they don't, that you don't care about them. But I see entrepreneurs refusing to make decisions in so many different areas of their life. That makes them worthless. You're a worthless person if you can't make decisions. Contrast that with the players. I mean, like the wealthy players: Dalio, Buffett, Bezos, uh, Elon. They make so many decisions and when the decisions don't work out, what's their escape? They make another decision yeah. and that ends up pulling them out. I learned this from a guy named Eli Wilde who you should get on the podcast because he's a fantastic salesperson. He's talking about, you know, the, the last thing you should do when you make a bad decision is stop making decisions, you know, 
because that prevents you from making the next right decision. And I just try to keep this in my, in the forefront of my mind is like, I always want to be moving forward on something. If we ever get into a place where things are too chill for too long, I know we're about to get hammered. And it's kind of that, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how to put that onto paper, but when it comes to making decisions, I am more afraid of me not using the opportunity than I am of me taking an opportunity, but it doesn't work out. And my priority of fear there is what keeps me going. No, that's huge. And I, and I, and I love that. So with, with that, how much do you, like when it comes to decision-making, obviously we know that, you know, the generic environment effects, who you hang out with affects your mindset, yada, 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 what have you. How important for you is maybe your subconscious mind. I'm big into like quantum physics and stuff. How important to you is feeding your mind or keeping your mind in the right state to be able to make decisions quickly? And how do you go about, you know, prepping your mind and keeping it sharp in that sense? It's like, it's 10 out of 10. We, we have a phrase around the offices here with our salespeople, input equals output. And I can always tell when someone is like uninspired because they will reduce their level of goals to how they feel rather than lifting how they feel to the level of their goals. And uh, man, you look at my office and it's like trinket, trinket, trinket. There's one over here you can't see. My whole environment is stacked so that you know, when I, when my conscious mind is maybe a little bit tired, I've got this harness via my environment, via my inputs that can keep me from falling out of the plane. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when, when closers don't have this and when entrepreneurs don't have this, you'll notice that their performance is like up and then it's down and then it's up and you can tell they're following their feelings. Like they're completely like regulating their output based on how they feel when they wake up in the morning rather than building systems and inputs to change how they feel so that they're always outputting the same. That's why I'm so consistent. And most of the times, dude, I wake up and I just don't care about anything. I'm just like, I'm not an early riser. <laughs> like naturally, right. um, I'm pissed off. My energy is like pretty dark in the mornings. Like, but I've got these awesome routines, man, and these awesome trinkets and these different anchor points that feed me and my inputs ultimately di dictating my output. So you see consistency. Nobody sees me going up and down and up and down and up and down. Uh, they just see my output. So input equals output. I think it's really important. That's awesome. And I think that's super important as well. And we talk about routines and systems in the morning. Morning routine, just real quickly, look pretty consistent every morning or does it fluctuate? Dude, it's, it's consistent uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, the reason that it's different on Wednesday is I found there is, there is a spectrum here of like when you are inconsistent, your, your, your output is chaos. But when you're so consistent that there's no, your central nervous system just falls asleep. Like there's no reason to, to be fresh and awake. And so uh, we just had a baby. And so she's healthy. Everything's good. But one of the things, by the way, thank you so much. One of the things I, I noticed like being an observer is if they feel like there's a high risk of something, they will induce the baby because they want control. They want control of the environment. They don't want that baby being randomly born at home without the ability to control the outcome. This induction, they will induce it. And I noticed that every, every week, and this is like scarily similar for every single closer I've ever trained or managed, every week there's a low point in their energy. And what I found is that if we can induce that, so we call it, we call it lag, a lag morning. So- huh. 
So six days a week, let's say they work six days a week. Uh, I can see you like turning on right now. You're like, oh my God, tell me. This is yeah, yeah, of course, bro. I mean, this is, this is what I like to hear. This is the sales. Let's say six days a week you're, you're performing. One of those days, we can use probability to say you're probably not going to feel good one of those days. Your, your energy is going to be toast. And we don't know what day it is. But let's say we can induce that on a Wednesday so it's controlled. And we have Wednesday stacked up. So, you know, every, the only form of control you really have in your whole life is adaptability, right? Everything's right. always going to change. The only way you can control the outcome is to adapt in the middle. And so for me, it's Wednesday. For one of our guys, it's Thursday. For another one, it's Wednesday. But every Wednesday, I completely abandon my morning routines. I wake up an hour later. And dude, I literally just do whatever I want in the morning. Like this last Wednesday, I like was just like on Instagram for an hour. <laughs> like the most the most wasteful hour of my life, but it's in, in the context of the whole machine, it is not wasteful at all because right. I'm deciding when my low point is going to be. I mean, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, Friday. I'm sharp as a tack, you know? Um, so my routines are, are very similar. A good book on this is anti-fragile. And that's when I kind of learned that if your routines are just too locked in, you become a weak person, you know? So it's the balance of routine with a little bit of, of, of chaos that makes a person strong. I love this. I love it. That's awesome. How many, how many salespeople you got? Nine. Dang. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And you keep them. I'm, um, I'm hiring two to three people a week. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Two and then firing. I'm not looking firing. for a job. Maybe I'd come work for you, but sorry. I saw you post. I was like, man, come on. No, I, here's the thing. I'm a very competitive person. So whoever that top, whoever you say they made 360 some thousand or whatever, I'd want to like double that. I'd be your top salesman, but then I'd get bored because I can't, I don't know. I can't, I can't sit in a, can't, can't work for someone else. I tried it. Hey, we'll just, uh, okay. We'll I want to a new business. Huh? We'll just partner on a new business. Together. That's perfect. That's so, perfect. I, I want to, okay. So there's a couple of things that I want to move into here because I, I'm a man of faith, right? You're a man of faith. And I really want to touch on how that has you know, affected your life um, and, and affected your business. I also want to touch on, before the interview's over, I want to touch on that kind of giving the audience a little teaser here. I want to touch on the relationship with your business partner. I have a business partner as well um, in, you know, in, in our funnel business. She handles a lot of the fulfillment side of things. I do a lot of sales. Um, and uh, I also want to touch on the, the changing economy and how it's definitely going to collapse for sure and, or shift and, uh, you know, touch on that. But uh, going into that, I think there's, um, an ethical thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to, to navigate this through and kind of make it flow. So let's start with the, let's start with the faith thing, right. And start with the, how that's played into your life and your decision-making and things like that. Uh, you grew up, it sounds like in the church, you grew up someone of faith, your parents in the church. Yeah. Yep. So how did yep. you, at what point in your life did you make it yours? And at what point in your life, I'm going to take a, a guess here, a stab in the dark to say at some point you probably questioned and did some research and made it your own, right? What, what yeah. point did that happen and how did you decide on, on Christianity or, or, or faith that you have, the faith that you have? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so I was raised in an AG church in Louisiana. Um, I'm sorry, you cut out oh, there. You, you were raised oh, where? I was raised in uh, an Assemblies of God Church down in Louisiana. Okay. Uh, so it was actually pretty religious. I was raised in a pretty religious environment. And um, when we moved, 
so we moved to Memphis and we got into a, a little bit of a less religious church, but it was still, you know, to an extent I had to figure out that, you know, I was either going, I, it, sometimes it can feel like cultish, Super. you know, and, and we just do things because you know, we take the, we take the spirituality out of it and we just make it a, a routine rote thing. And so I would say that I really challenged and I got, I kind of went through a, a darker time in my faith from the years like 21 to like 24, 25, because I was like, man, that my whole life I've like believed that I wanted to work at a church and I believed that this is like my mission. But, but really it was just about, you know, I, doing the right things. And if you are a good person, you know, and I was like, but I can find that in Brendan Burchard, you know, right, like, right, right. <laughs> I can be a good person anywhere. And, um, we, my wife is awesome and we had a lot of conversations about it. And she was ultimately the one that was like, I think you need to transition off of staff because it was my job. Being a Christian was my job. Yeah. You're and a professional have, Christian. Dude, I have such a heart now for people who work at church and stay healthy because I'm like, man, that is the hardest job of all time. I mean, dude, you work a hundred hours a week and you barely get paid. <laughs> this is like, you got to be called to it, but I have such a respect for them because for me, I was just like, being a, being a Christian was just my job and I got paid to do it. And it just was really unhealthy for me. Um, but we found like a, a great church in Nashville and it kind of has changed our life. You know, we've plugged in there and um, really gotten to a place where it's, it feels really good. It's not just something where we just go to church because it's Easter. Um, you know, I think another thing is like me and Chris talk about this all the time. It's like our success has to be for something. Yeah. Or else you get bored and you're just going to burn out. And so being able to give to people who are, you know, we do these give drives to homeless people and we give uh, to widows in Charlotte who have been widowed be either via divorce or whatever, and they can't pay for their children. And um, there's something about it that just makes you come alive. Now, like picture right now of like, I want to hit a million dollars a month because I want a new Ferrari. Or like, man, there's this widow who has four children and they're living like in a really bad place and you want to do a million dollars a month so that you can find a hundred of them and take care of their children. Yeah. The energy is different, you know? Super. And so how, how much of an impact does faith have on our lives? It's like you can't remove Taylor and Chris from our faith. Like you, it's, it's like at the basis, it's the foundation. And I think that that would pose a lot of challenges at the beginning because most People who are, you know, I don't want to say religious people, but they're faith-based people are idiots. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, it's just true. So you got these Christian business owners who are just stupid and they can't run a business. And it's like, it's like embarrassing. You almost don't even want to know. You don't even want to tell someone. It's like, we just wanted to like do our own thing and nobody even, but people started noticing and they started asking questions and it's kind of working its way back in. But I feel like, if we want to go ahead and go there, I'm not sure how comfortable you are with this. Oh, 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 I'm very comfortable. I'll talk about it. Yeah. Especially on this topic for sure. I, I believe, and I think that, um, dude, we have the source of all the creativity. We have the source of the greatest inspiration. And I really think that there needs to be some powerful Christian business, uh, Christian business owners that can step up and show people that, you know, it's possible to win in business and, 
remain faithful to the same woman or the yeah. same husband. You know, it's possible to, to be a baller and to have the cars and to have the houses, but still, you know, submit your tithes to the local church. Right. Like it's possible to do both. And we did not have that example when we were starting. All we saw, and this is a big concern, is as soon as you get successful in business, the house falls apart. Yeah. Divorce five times. It was like a worry for me. I was like, I don't want this to happen because at the end of the day, you can build the biggest business on the planet. But if you lose your wife because of it, then what does it matter? Right. And so we're trying to work all of that in. It's just kind of a touchy thing because people get so weird about spiritual stuff. You yeah. Know? So I got mad respect for that, man. It's like super, super mad respect. And that's something that, you know, I strive for very heavily. I, I recently joined, uh, there's a, at my church, there's a men's group uh, that I just started recently going to on Wednesday nights and hooked up with a super cool dude there. We're talking about a lot of these, the same stuff, you know, cause one of the things, and I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this. You know, I grew up, we have probably a pretty similar story. I mean, I grew up ultra, ultra conservative, ultra, ultra, like, you know, all the girls had to wear dresses to the, you know, the ankles. And, you know, even yeah. I had to wear a t-shirt while swimming because, you know, because it was modest, like, like super, super. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like I had my run in with, you know, kind of putting God on the shelf for a little bit, struggling, kind of got into drugs, um, you know, thankfully came out of that and, you know, really found my purpose and my calling and my passion with him. But one of the things that I, I noticed was like, man, especially in the Instagram world, that was my, like, that was my come up right? Like we've grown and managed millions on Instagram. All you see is Lambos and Ferraris and mansions and girls and this and that. And so I'm like, my mind was so messed up and jacked up. And that's why I stopped following everybody on it. My perception of what success was in this world was so jacked. And so, you know, for you to say, you know, Hey, we need Christian leaders. We need people that, you know, to stand up. I'm pretty open about my faith, but one of the biggest things that I have a problem with, with Christians in today's society, especially those people that seem to, those Christians that kind of tend to get into business that aren't real leaders, they kind of tend to scream Jesus at you and kind of be like, you're going to hell if you don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my business is for yada, yada, yada. How do you differentiate yourself or how do you deal with people that categorize you? And I don't want to spend too, too much time on this, but it's a question that I'm, I'm genuinely curious about for me. How do you personally deal with people that hear you're a Christian and go, oh, you're one of those people. I don't, I don't care. I'm like, if I had, I probably have way more money than you. So I don't need you. <laughs> there, is, there is, there is still like, here's the thing. Like you, you, you need to win on every level of your life. That is possible. That is possible. Unless you're lazy or a sellout or cheap. You know, you, you need to be winning in your health. You need to be winning in your spiritual walk. You need to be winning in your business, your marriage, your family life, your friendships, all, all of this. You, can you win on every level? Yes, you can. And, and the, the reason that Christians have such a bad rap is because they'll be like, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, so my spiritual stuff is safe. But then they're a complete moron and failure in every other area of life. Like They only have one. It's the Parthenon. And we, we work with uh, Jay. Jay is one of our mentors, Abraham. And he's got this famous thing. It's the Parthenon. It's like, you don't have just one pillar, you have 10 of them, you know? And so it doesn't happen often because at this point we have uh, enough, like, I don't want to say clout, but people know, like they know, like we're not, we're not struggling in, in anywhere. Like we're not, there's no struggle in terms of finance. We're not like driving the beaters. 
And so if someone were to be like that, I'd be like, cool, bro, screw you. I mean, there's no that I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. And by nature of what we know about power dynamics and social currencies, you're going to have 50% of the room that really loves you and 50% is going to hate you whether you're a Christian or not. Right, right. Lump them into the same category. Yep. Like toodles, you know? Yep. So, so with this, I kind of want to make a shift now that we've kind of established where you and I at least make decisions. And I think that I've met a lot of people that are not, you know, people of faith that m- may more attribute things to the universe uh, and, and, you know, the love and yada, 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 what have you, which, you know, I, I tend to agree with a lot of what they say. I just believe the source is different. Um, let's talk about like the ethical shift in today's society, which we live in America, which I believe is greatest country in the world. But on the same time of that, like ultra, ultra capitalism, ultra, ultra uh, greed, and you just see it screaming everywhere at every part. At what point is because it's led to where we're at. It's led to the greatest economy ever, which we know is going to you know, kind of tip at some point. But at what point does it become too much? At what point does business in general uh, become, I don't want to say a bad thing because I don't, I don't think that business is a bad thing, but at what point does, does your moral step in and go, no, we're not doing this for the sake of just profit. We're not doing this for the sake of, you know, whatever that thing is. We're doing this for purpose. We're doing this for, you know, ethic. And you've got to have what I like to call like conscious capitalism, you know? It's like, how do you determine what's too much? How do you determine, you know, where you draw the line as far as just like sell, 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 consume, 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 put it out for the sake of putting it out rather than for the sake of actually making someone better. Um, I was two things come to mind when you say that. And the first is like, if you study companies, missional companies tend to make it and, uh, just economies of scale, put money in your pocket. Companies tend to get kicked out of the game eventually. So there is something to be said for like, if the goal of the, you know, there's, there is some old direct response people who I won't name who are like the number one purpose of a business is to make the owner rich. It's like, well, you're old and you're going to die soon and your guard is ending and that's not true anyways. But that's probably why you got capped, right? Because the biggest companies in the world are very missional. And when Jobs was here, yes, he was concerned with obviously the health and the capital allocation of the business, but he hated the ugliness of Microsoft so much that it drove him to change things. You know, Bezos, despite what you think of him, he wanted to pass the benefit to the consumer so much that sometimes it caused him to do some nasty things with the distributors. You know, it's like there was mission behind it. Missional companies survive and non-missional ones don't. And the second thing is just understanding order of consequence. When you talk about where is the, where's the spectrum, you picture the old radio dials and it's kind of like there's a dial in the middle and you, what you're asking is like, where's the moral compass? Like where's the perfect... And I think that to answer that question, you have to know the orders of consequence for the market that you're in. War is a very nasty thing. If you only understand the first order of consequence, then you can stop there. But, you know, what about when there's a necessary war to stop an Adolf Hitler? And you see what I mean? Like the orders of consequence dictate and require you to go and do something that a simplistic person, I'm getting really dangerous here because we can get into Machiavellianism yeah, yeah, yeah. and the laws of nature. And there are very bad people who could use good things for the wrong reasons. But at the end of the day, I think what is wrong with the way people view the world today is they have one order of consequence. 
Only one. Yeah. And if something feels bad, it's wrong. If something feels good, it's right. Yeah. It's like, so you're going to die of obesity if you live your life based on the first order of consequence. What about the second? What about the third? You know, not, not sleeping in and going to the gym. The first order of consequence is this feels really bad. But the second order of consequence is I am healthy. And the third order of consequence is I get to survive long enough to see my grandchildren. And the orders of consequence, we have to go to the third and the fourth and the fifth. We can't be making decisions based on the first. When you look at politics and capitalism and Trump, <laughs> go ahead and go there. You have to, we have to look at all of these things and nobody's doing that. And if we make judgmental claims, we're going to really die, I think, as the superpower because we've made the first order consequence greater than the third. Yep. You know? What, yeah. What do you think of Trump? I think Trump is uh, brash. I think he could maybe handle from getting his Twitter taken away at times. But here's the thing is he is creating his own leverage via his words and via negotiation. He's got the order of consequence thing nailed, bro. I mean, let's just be real. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I don't always agree with the way he does it, but he'll create leverage over here via a, a stupid threat that people are like, he can't be serious, but he may be. And there's just enough threat there that he can get what he wants over here. And I don't agree with everything that he does. And I definitely don't agree with everything that he says. Um, but where we are right now, he has kept the economy going. And I think that it's been good for business owners. Yeah, for business owners, yeah. for sure. Before I go down that trail, which I want to get to, and I know we're coming up on our time here, but we still got some time. I want to talk really quickly though, before we move on to that, about the balance between business and um, charity work's not the right deal, but maybe moral issues in society, right? I feel, uh, you know, so you may or may not know, uh, my brother, uh, older brother passed away about uh, eight weeks ago in a helicopter crash. And he was uh, out of Denver, very, very, very well respected in the political realm. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, so his, you know, his wife, his wife has a son out there. They were very, very involved in like the uh, foster care system. Very, very well respected in the political realm. He was a political consultant, owned a company out there, had employees, um, like new, I mean, who's the speaker of the house? Paul Ryan, Mike Pence, like he campaigned for Pence back when he was the governor of Indiana, like knew and met Pence. I mean, like big time, big time. A lot of people knew him, right? So very, very involved in the political realm. And he was probably the most gracious person when it came to seeing across party lines. He was like, dude, it's not Democrats and Republicans, it's people, right? Like, come on guys, let's work together type deal, right? And so yeah. he brought a lot into where I would walk into uh, a, a meeting or, or, or a conversation and I would go, business, all right? If it's not self-sustaining, why is it here, right? Like, come on now. And he would go and be like, Josh, listen, I agree with you. I'm all about business, but we've got these moral issues over here, right? We've got these people that are, you know, actually hurting, these people that don't have the mind of you, these people that are not cut out for that thing, and they're real people too, right? And, uh, you know, they are just as much justified as a life. You might not agree with them. How do you make decisions or how, at what point does it come to, you know, as laws in the country and the thing that we're living in, do we not do things for the sake of business and we do things for the betterment of the people? Because there are laws and there are things out there, I, I would imagine you would agree, that are pro-big business or pro-business at all. You know, I think Trump is more of a, and I, 
I pretty, I've been pretty vocal about my support for Trump. So like, I, I'm in no place to talk here, but like at some point you, there are laws made for business. There's laws made for the people. And then there's laws for both of them. Where do you draw the line that says, yes, it might be good for business. Yes, it might not be a bad thing necessarily, but it could hurt people long-term. It could hurt the environment long-term. Where do you draw that line there? So this is a balancing because this is actually a principle that we've proven is typically um, there is a, there is a breaking point or a law a diminishing returns where at the beginning, what's good for the system is good for the person. They're connected, but it crosses over a certain point when all of a sudden what's good for the system is harmful for the individual and vice versa. This is anti-fragility going back into the, the anti-fragile concept. When a plane crashes, that's one of the best things that could ever happen for the individual who's going to be on a plane next year. Why? Are you asking me? Yeah. Be the, the plane that crashes now so that they can prevent the plane crashing in the future. Yeah, because improvement typically comes through tension and disaster. Like right. that's where, you know, so there's this weird thing, like Titanic's was the best thing that ever happened to, you know, ocean liners. Uh, titanic sinking and so this is very darwinistic uh right. this is very far removed from like having compassion and emotion and being plugged into the people but there's a part of me that is darwinistic and it's like you know just there is survival of the fittest if you read the book when giving hurts um it talks about that just going through and feeding all the homeless people in the world is actually not great for <laughs> society because what about the people who are homeless by choice and what's the difference between giving and enabling Dude, how do we know? Like, how am I going to be able to say that? But there is a balance there. Um, and when, you know, when Trump came in, I think he was really concerned with the collapse of the dollar. So everything Trump has done has been to fix the collapse of the dollar. First order consequence, he's a jerk. You know, we get that. Second order <laughs> consequence, if he's not a jerk and the dollar collapses, it's much more harmful to Mexico than if the dollar stays strong. You see, like, right. there's all these things. It's so complicated. It's so complex that most of the time I keep my mouth shut because there's so many different viewpoints. But I think when, when giving and doing things for individual people enables them and ultimately the second and third order consequence prevents them from growing into the person that they were supposed to be, I think that's where the line is. You know, We give a lot of money to homeless people, but uh, there are homeless people that are homeless by choice. Yeah. And they could be somebody. But they're too comfortable. And so I don't think that we're held responsible for that. You know, I think that we're held responsible for the activity. And if you give $10 or hundred dollars to someone and they go buy alcohol with that, that doesn't come back on me. Right. I'm, I'm, what I'm responsible for is my generosity. And I think motive plays a big part. I'm not giving you a definitive answer because I can't. Right, right. No, no. Possible. I, I, and I knew you couldn't. I just wanted to see what you'd say. Because yeah, it's, it's one of the things that I, I struggle with because I'm like, I'm a, I'm a pretty compassionate person. Um, I'm an empath, like to the core. A lot of people don't see that. They think I'm this big bad guy online that supports Trump and, you know, just wants every, <laughs> wants to get rich, um, yeah. which, you know, to, to a certain extent, I, I do want to be rich, but like, I really want to help people and I never want my business actions to trump that. And so I'm just, you know, I always ask these questions because these are questions that I, you know, genuinely want to ask people and really think about, um, you know, for yeah. myself. Dude. Uh, Case in point real fast is like three and a half years ago, I did this because we just had to pay taxes. Taxes are awesome. If you haven't <laughs> had to pay six figures, seven figures in taxes, it's the best feeling. But three years ago, I, no, four years ago, I made $32,000 in the year. Last year, 
we were able to give almost $60,000 to our church. That's awesome. double what my income was four years ago. And if the last four years I've just been giving all our money away and letting people in for free and we wouldn't have been able to do that. So you wanting to be rich is a very healthy thing for everyone else. It's not always a bad thing. But when your level of energy, which is another good book, Levels of Energy, is underneath, let's say like 120, you can't see that. And most of the country, America is like around 150, most of the country, that's an average, most of the country is under 100. So the people voting, we can't even trust that they see long enough to even understand what a second order consequence is. Are they dumb? Are they stupid? No, they're not dumb. They're not stupid. But their level of energy is so low that they're only focused on today I have to eat. And that's it's so hard, man. And, and I agree with you 100%. But it's really hard knowing that like, so I'm someone that commits myself to the betterment of myself, right? Constantly reading, studying, masterminds, working out, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yep. And so I look at the world totally different than so many other people. And I see things for what I believe they truly are, right? Or at least as close as I possibly can get to that. And with that level of energy, with that level of insight, and you go, I know that for the betterment of everyone and for the betterment of this, like this is the right decision, right? Or like this is the direction that we should be going, even though everybody else thinks otherwise. And so you have to be so confident in believing that, going that decision, making those decisions to try to move things that direction, even when everybody else is against you or thinks differently than that. And that's hard because, man, I tell you, if you're wrong, and I'm not, I mean, that's not to say right, wrong, or whatever, but that's, that's a very interesting point that I don't think people get. And whenever I've told people that, and when I've said like, hey, I'm seeing things differently because I've forced myself to be at this level, they're like, oh, you're you know, prideful, arrogant, yada, 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 or you think you're better than everybody else. It's like, no, it has nothing to do with me being better. It has nothing to do with you being better. It just is the fact that we've chosen to do things differently, to see things differently because we've bettered ourselves. You know, and it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for me because I, I never want someone to feel like they think that I'm better than them, right? Or that they think that I think that I'm better than them. But sometimes you just look at things and you go, you're just wrong. You know what I mean? You're just, you're just incorrect with the way you're, your way of thinking. Well, you, you are better than them in a lot of regards, but it's because of your level of energy. It's not necessarily because of your opinion. And I think I'm a little less, I don't care if you think that I'm better than you because chances are I am unless I'm not. And who cares? Like that's the beauty of America is we can disagree and still be brothers. People are losing that a little bit. That is definitely Trump's fault, but he yeah. needed to do it to get elected. So whatever. For sure. So let, let's, let's move into that. Cause I want to kind of wrap up with this. This is one thing that fascinates me. You're someone that very much understands wealth and wealth creation. And I think that you're based on what I've seen from you, you're pretty well versed in the whole economic state of everything. What's the, uh, What's the future of the economy? What's the future of America? When are we all going to, this internet, glorious internet bubble, going to pop? And the um, go. Well, we're, we're, we're not in the longest bull run ever. I think that we are in, except for World War II, that was, that was longer than where we are now. But it does have to correct. Things are overpriced almost everywhere. Um, I started studying money like a year ago, going into like um, the creature from Jackal Island and like the history of money and where all that comes from. And Ray Dalio has been a huge influence for me because that dude knows economics. He's forgotten more about it than any of us will ever learn. But I don't think that there's going to be a pop for uh, internet marketing. I mean, I think that the bottom 70% will get kicked out of the game 
and I am thrilled about it. <laughs> uh, I think we're all tired of competing with like, you know, idiots who have never done anything. Like when those people can compete with, with the professionals in the league, then you know that something's wrong. Yeah. Um, but I think in the next year and a half, we'll, we're already seeing things slow down. Um, the interest rates are going up. Real estate markets are cooling a little bit. Uh, it's already helping us because we're able to get properties for a little cheaper already and different markets. And dude, I'm telling you, if you look at every single person who's like billion dollar plus net worth, dude, they all got rich in a down economy. Yeah, yeah, all for them. sure. So I don't think it's anything that you should be scared about. The greatest risk that people have is not an economy. It's not getting beat up in a dark alleyway. It, the greatest risk is the lack of preparation. And that lack of preparation typically comes from the lack of knowledge. And that's why we started studying it. So we could build a plan and prepare for it. So how do, how do you, go ahead. How does one prepare or what does one do to prepare for a down economy or for opportunity just in general? What's your recommendation yeah. for people listening? Oh, well, you want to have cash for sure. How much cash you want to have depends on all of the above, your lifestyle. That's why our lifestyle, dude, if you look at how much money we make in proportion to how much money we spend, like we basically live like paupers. Uh, people see the, the Rolex and the Teslas and they see the Chris's big mansion house. But I mean, if you actually take the percentage of money we spend on our lifestyle compared to what's coming into the business, dude, we might as well be living in tents. Uh, the percentage of income to lifestyle is so low. And that's because we're reinvesting into cash on hands and assets. Because when everything corrects, uh, banks are going to loan money to people with assets. And people with cash on hands are going to be able to go buy. Picture the business doing a million right now. And that business is selling for three times EBITDA, which is $1.5 And when the economy crashes, they have a payroll of $20,000 a month. And they ran out of cash we'll be able to buy them just to cover their payroll for six months, $120,000 hmm. because they have to sell or they have to close up shop. And so opportunity typically comes the most often when there's crises. You know, that's why, that's why you, the old adage you buy when there's blood in the streets, especially if you're in the marketing or the sales world though, when do people need marketing more than ever before? You know, when, when customers are the hardest to find. Yeah. When do they need good sales talent more than ever before? When nobody's buying. Yeah. So for us, I think we're actually going to, I mean, media is already getting cheaper. As people slow down a little bit, we're going to be able to buy ads for pennies on the dollar. Uh, people are going to need our services more than ever. It's a great thing. It's just not a great thing for people who are foolish and they don't pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big, big opportunity there for sure. Yep. How do you, real briefly, uh, how do you determine where to put your focus? Because, you know, one of the big things in business you hear from a lot of people, um, and once again, I'm big in Sam Ovens right now, uh, focus on one thing, focus, scale, focus, scale, focus, scale, one thing, one thing, one thing. You're diversified, right? You've got real estate assets. You've got your business that you're growing. You've got a team now. How do you determine where to put your energy and where to focus? Yeah. Sam was a big influence on me personally when we were like, we, we actually brought him on as a mentor in month three. Oh wow. So early on, very early on. This was before he had the 2k course and everything. And he's changed a lot since then, uh, in terms of like what he's doing and the, how, how it works. But 
I agree with the whole focus thing. And I think that the barometer on that is like focus on it exclusively until it no longer requires your focus. And the way we've done that is we have invested into team. And so we don't like if I walked away from, from traffic and funnels for the next six months, um, the business would bring in $6 million in revenue. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't require my focus to maintain and then I can take my focus and move it elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and the reason that we're pulling money out of Sam's different. I think Sam is like very bullish on like keeping all of your money in the business, uh, which is great. Cause when you have like $800 million in cash, you know, you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> uh, not quite that much probably, right, right, uh, right. but he's a legend and we, we still talk every once in a while. We love Sam, but we're pulling money out of the business because, um, we, we want to be able to loan against assets when the economy does correct and we're going to buy more assets. And so it's just a thing. We found a partner and we're buying real estate. We've got three different businesses that are putting in, putting out good money right now. And, uh, but we're still focused, man. We have only three goals for 2019. That's it. Only three. Whereas what are they? Ago, two years ago. Or can I not ask? Like 12. No, that's fine. I'll, I'll give you general goals. Um, the first is a, is a revenue goal and a people goal for TF. The second is a revenue goal and a people goal for sales mentor, which is our sales consulting products. So I have nine salespeople right now. Um, we do daily meetings. We're hiring all of our own people in-house. We don't use a firm to do that. And uh, two of my top salespeople, every time they pick up the phone, they make more than $5,000 for the company per time they pick up the phone. So okay. nobody else in the industry is doing that. Cardone's right. not doing that. Cardone's not, nobody. There's no, Sam's not doing that. Nobody's doing it. I'm like, well, we need to train other people how to train their salespeople to do that. So that's where sales mentor. And then we have a, um, an, a portfolio value goal. That's it. TF, SM, and real estate. And every, all the water flow goals come into that. But what, what we would have done three years ago is be like, bro, we can make an info product right now. I like started a new info product, but it doesn't fit. You only have a certain amount of bandwidth. So we're, we're still pretty focused and dialed in. Nice. You okay. I mean? Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. I appreciate it. I got some rapid fire questions. Then we'll wrap this thing up because I, I want to respect your time for sure. Yep. All right. Real quick. Uh, the podcast is called The Think Different Theory. The, what's the number one mental or thought process shift you've ever had in your life? <sighs> Jeez, dude. I wish I would have been prepared for this. Or a major one. I'll give you the first one. Normalization. It's the first one that comes to mind. I learned really early on that when you become someone different on the inside, if you can reflect that on the outside as quickly as possible, you eliminate the risk of going backwards. So Ooh, that's good. I will, I will force my team, especially my sales guys at certain points, Peyton, my brother who sells for us, he's one of our top guys. I've made him buy two new cars since he's worked for me because when he levels into a new month, I want, I don't want him getting into that old Toyota Camry, not because Toyota cameras are bad, but it's attached to a different identity. And when he has a big week, I don't want him reverting to that old identity. So norm we're always normalizing our external environment to eliminate the risk of moving backwards. That's awesome. Uh, number one piece of advice for people that they're making six, multi-six figures, maybe a little more than that. They've got free cash coming in, right? So they're saving multi-four figures or five figures a month that they're putting away. What's your number one piece of money advice for them? What to do with that money? It's not enough. It's my number one piece of advice. Um, if you're under, uh, if you're under probably think 35 K is the minimum per month right now, 
uh, you're toast. Get around people who make more. The reason I say that is because our financial model, you want to pay yourself a little bit, invest a little bit, and set aside some for taxes. And most people, they're making six figures and they think it's awesome and it's just not enough. Yeah. Get around people who make way more than you to teach you what it feels like to climb the ladder. It's not enough. Cool. Uh, favorite movie? We're di shifting big time here. Yeah, we are. Favorite movie? Um, I'm going to humanize you a little bit. You're not a, super, you're not a superhero. I know, dude. I'm like, I'm like not really a big movie guy. In fact, people make fun of me. Chris makes fun of me because he'll quote movies and I'm like, I don't know what that means. I'm more of like, I just read Tim Ferriss instead of watch TV. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't watch TV. Probably, I hardly probably, watch it. Huh? Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans? All right. I, yeah. I, I respect that. I uh, just watched Endgame last night. I'm not going to ruin it for anyone. But uh, we're, going, we're going tonight. It's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. But Remember the Titans is like classic. Dude. Well, right. Like the blind side, those movies like get really inspired, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, favorite book? Of all time? Well, outside of the Bible. I would imagine that's got to be up there. But favorite principles, favorite principles by Ray Dalio. Um, and then dude, there's another one that I read every quarter. It's 177 mental toughness secrets. It's by a guy named Steve Sebolt. You heard of that? No, I've not. I'll have to check it out. Dude, it's unbelievable. The 80% of the book is highlighted. That's awesome. Well it's done. Good. Well done. Okay. Awesome. Uh, favorite podcast outside of mine? <laughs> Definitely yours. Sorry, I'm struggling so much to answer these questions. No, you're good. I, I listen to so many different things. I would probably say uh, Tim Ferriss is up there. He's got a great podcast. Uh, one of the ones that I've been listening to a lot recently is, um, trying to figure out what it's called. It's Exponential Wisdom. Exponential Wisdom. Okay. Two more questions for you. What's a, a big goal of yours? Like big, big, like uh, non-business? Non non-helping other people, selfish goal of yours that you want to accomplish someday, like a bucket list thing that uh, you want to do in your life. I want to, me and my wife, we want to have a place in like three major cities. We want a place on the ski slopes. Uh, we want a chateau in Paris and a nice place in New York City that we can take our kids to in vacation. That's going to require some serious net worth. I'm not yeah. going to do that uh, without having huge investment accounts. Huge, huge, huge. That's yeah. awesome. All right, last question for you. You're on your deathbed. Everything that you've done in your life has been taken away from you. No one remembers you for anything, but every single person that you have impacted and that you have touched with your life, you can leave them with one final piece of advice, one final piece of wisdom. What do you want them to remember you by? What's your last parting words to them? Oh, do the right thing. And the right thing is usually the hard thing. Perfect. It's worth it. It's worth it. Do the right thing. Usually the hard thing. Taylor, you've been the first guest on the Think Different Theory podcast. I appreciate you and your time, man. And uh, look forward to, I'm sure we'll have you back at some point. But uh, when I'm down in Nashville, I'll have to swing by the office and say hi. Come on, bro. Let's do it. Thanks All for right. having me, man.